This week, we're taking a rebooted look at a galaxy far, far away in Star Wars, The Force Awakens. And along the way, we asked, did J.J. Abrams save any franchise? Why does Mark Hamill not say a word at the end of the film? And how can a film feel fresh without treading any new ground? These are your first steps on Force-Fed Sci-Fi. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the beginning of what we're calling our Star Wars Suite on the Force-Fed Sci-Fi Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Chris Rupp, and I am joined by my intrepid co-host, <laughs> Jedi Sean Michael Culp. I would call you more of like a Sith Lord. Sith Lord? Oh, yeah, I'll do that. So, yes, we are discussing Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens. Yeah. Or as I like to call it, The Farce Awakens. Oh, well, we'll get into that. So let's provide a brief plot synopsis before we get into the meat and potatoes of everything. All right. So set 30 years after the end of The Return of the Jedi, the Jedi are once again extinct. The Republic has been restored and is fighting to restore peace to the galaxy against the First Order, who have risen up in the absence of the Empire. The Resistance, led by now General Leia Organa, is searching for her brother, Luke Skywalker, who has vanished after trying to train a new generation of Jedi. When a former stormtrooper teams up with an orphan scavenger, they embark on a grand adventure while encountering old and new heroes while learning to trust in the Force. Ooh, I just love how the Jedi keep going extinct. They just can never stay put. Well, they can't quite figure out like the the balance that's required to maintain the Force. Like, because the Sith will be in power for two thousand years, and then the Jedi will rise up, and then they'll all be killed. This balance. And then the Jedi go away again, and then the Sith are in power. <laughs> They're literally the pendulum swinging back. They would be the worst tightrope walkers. Like, oh, here we go, the Star Wars Jedi. Oh, 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 oh. Oh. JK. <laughs> It's like the Empire would always be the best. to be like, and they make it across again. The Empire First Order, whatever you want to call them. Those Jedi should take notes. <laughs> so The Force Awakens was directed by J.J. Abrams, old J.J. J.J., the, the man who was dabbling in Star Trek at the time. Yeah, he, he was known for directing the uh, first two films in the Star Trek rebooted series. Uh, mm -hmm. The aptly named Star Trek and then Star Trek Into Darkness. Double dipping so in he, Star so Wars. So he's developed this talent for making entertaining films. Because before this, yeah. he also directed Super 8. Good film. Yeah, and Mission Impossible 3. Another, yeah. Which probably you haven't seen. Yes, I have. Okay, Great good. film. <laughs> very fast pace. He, he's known for that very happy-go-lucky film. Fast paced, good action, lens flary man. Although, to his credit, he has gotten away from peppering his films with lens flares. I know, which is kind of sad. <laughs> but yes, kudos uh, to Mission Impossible 3. I would recommend that. Go see it if you haven't seen it. Philip Seymour Hoffman, rest in peace. He's incredible, as well as Tom Cruise. Yes. He's got some of his best acting chops without, like, you know, before he became an enigma of just running <laughs> and having one face. This also stars several actors from the first trilogy of films, such as uh, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, and Mark Hamill, all return to their respective roles in the from the previous films. Yeah, there's also starring uh, many relative newcomers, such as uh, Daisy Ridley as Ray, John Boyega, previous subject from Attack the Block on this podcast. Hey, shout out! Yeah, starred as Finn. Yeah. Uh, Adam Driver, I guess one of his well-known credits was he was on HBO's Girls for have, a long time. Have you ever seen that? 
I tried to watch it. It's a weird show to me. Like, Dude, it's so good. I've seen all six seasons. Yeah. I, I goose about that show. He was a Kylo Ren slash uh, Ben Solo. Yeah. And then uh, Oscar Isaac, one of my personal favorite actors, was uh, in the film as Poe Dameron. But there are also several other actors from the original films who returned. Peter Mayhew. Uh, also briefly appeared as Chewbacca, but mm-hmm. his role was limited to a lot of knee and back problems. So there was a just laying down. Yeah, there was a Swedish actor. I think his name was uh, Jonas uh, Suatomo who took over for him for the majority of filming. Mm-hmm. Also, Anthony Daniels returned to play C three PO, and his appearance in the newest film, The Rise of Skywalker, will make him the only actor to appear in all nine of the main films. Yeah, so he's that's, the man. It's very impressive. Uh, several other new cast members. We have uh, Oscar winner Lapita Nyong'o as Maz Kanata, mm-hmm. who, if you have not seen 12 Years a Slave, her performance in it will make you cry. <laughs> and then we also have the glorious Andy Serkis. Yes, whose credits Emperor are too Snoke. numerous to list, but he was Supreme Leader Snoke via performance capture. And then the music, guess who returned? The great John Williams. The man is a genius. Enough said. So to provide some background on The Force Awakens, we got to go back to October 2012, yes. when Disney purchased Lucasfilm for what can only be described as an ungodly amount of money. Billions. Four billion dollars, I think, to be exact, and immediately began developing a new round of trilogy films. And now, through this process, they scrapped many of the ideas George Lucas had spent years developing following his work on the original trilogy and in the prequel films. Yeah, including even up to, because he started working on what would be The Force Awakens in about 2011, 2012. He started doing concept art. All this different stuff because he was flirting with the idea of perhaps directing or making another one before selling it. Um, what else do we got with Lucas? He he had all that canon and Disney kind of flushed it down the toilet. Well, I look at it like this. He, he had something like the next 50 years of Star Wars history mapped yeah. out after the end of Return of the Jedi. He does. He says it. And and yet he had every opportunity in the world to make more films, but he chose not to. After the prequel films, he was done for all intents and purposes. I don't know why. I thought I heard interviews or read interviews where he said the CGI, like the computer effects, weren't up to snuff, which is kind of shocking because you think of the man that literally went and above and beyond. Like, dude, you hope. pioneered the use of special effects. He was, and he's also the guy that says special effects should only be a tool in storytelling, not be the story itself. Insert hashtag C prequels. Hashtag Jar Jar. <laughs> yeah. So it is a bit befuddling. But like you said, he did give Disney all of his, basically everything he had, including the 789 treatment which they proceeded to flush down the toilet. Well, I don't blame them for doing that. They wanted to make their own franchise. They wanted to move True. forward well, without George Lucas. Did you see what it was about, his treatments with 789? You know, briefly, I saw a lot of it had to do with Luke marrying off and having kids, uh, Han and Leia having multiple children. Well, he, he was focusing more, though, on what he considered the wills. Now, the wills are apparently the species, this organism that controls what is the force. So he wanted the films. Maybe. He already ruined that with the midichlorians. He doesn't he, need to do anything else to ruin the force. He wanted to go into the midichlorians even more and talk about like from a like even a cellular level breaking back and like the the story of like Star Wars was kind of like you know in Men in Black where it zooms out. 
that's what it was going to yeah, be like. Let's let's make let's make a whole How series could- of <laughs> let's make a whole series of films Dude. about the worst aspect of the worst prequel film. How crazy would that be? But doesn't Han Solo say in Episode Four the Force? He like sarcastically says, "You think I believe in this thing that apparently controls." The balance of life. Well, yeah, but then by the time this movie comes around, after everything he's seen, after everything Han has seen over the last 35 years in this galaxy, (laughs) it's real. He's finally accepted it. (laughs) Right? And he's literally, if you take the age of him, he was born during the Clone Wars. Yeah. So he's been alive. So the fact that he didn't believe and it took, you know, Luke Skywalker. So Disney scraps all of George Lucas's idea, (laughs) moves forward. Put Kathleen Kennedy in charge of Lucasfilm, who we have said before on the show, Kathleen Kennedy is probably the smartest person in Hollywood, like bar well, none. She's, a, she's incredibly well-respected, yeah. and she's very business savvy. Particularly at the time, because she just produced Lincoln, yes. uh, 20, Steven Spielberg's. So I totally understand why Lucas was like, you would be the best, because that film was insatiable. So it, it makes sense why he gave it, you know. So Domino's like, you take this. You won't CGI the crap out of it. So shortly after J.J., uh, uh, excuse me, after Disney purchased Lucasfilm, J.J. Abrams was announced as the director of Episode Seven, which would become The Force Awakens in January 2013. And the film was fully cast by March of 2014. And I don't know if you've seen this, but there's a great black and white photo of the cast sitting around in this yep. in this round table. And they just completed the first table, table read, read, which yeah. is, it's. I mean, who knows what happened in that first read, but it's still a great picture to see them all sitting together. Mm-hmm. Mark Hamill was the narrator. Yeah, because he had no lines. <laughs> Pretty much. So I don't know what you saw for the budget, but I saw that the budget for the film exceeded $300 million. Yes. I saw like 306 Yeah, that's mil- insane. Million dollars. Well, that's here's my nuts, thing, too. Man. You just sunk $4 billion to acquire Lucasfilms, and now you're going to sink $300 million to make the first film? Not to mention the theme park yeah well <laughs> that came later but then also the marketing for this film so you've spent like four and a half billion dollars just on the first movie i know they just they were in for the win and they were hoping to get their money back which i think they did so it was shot mainly in england uh, abu dhabi uh, it was filled in for jakku i think and then yeah. ireland was where they filmed um the the end portion with Luke's exile. But they were in London, though, right? Or like over in Europe? Yeah, there's a there's a the... famous movie studio in London. You know, yeah. Pinewood Studios is where they film a lot of um, the James Bond films. Yes. They have, it's even, they even have a special stage at Pinewood called the 007 stage. Oh, that's dope. Where they pretty much exclusively filmed James Bond films there. And you, you did you see any of the behind the scenes stuff with this film? Kind of. Kind of. Because they talk a little bit about it. I watched it on Blu-ray. I borrowed my buddies. And they talk about like they went to the same stage that they had all the um, prior Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. They like did a archive. Apparently there was a Star Wars archive from like four, five, and six. And so they sifted through all those materials. Together. All of the Star Wars films have been filmed... Primarily in England. Yes. So it makes sense to continue doing so. Yes. Which is great to go for your roots, man. Well, post-production took so long that Industrial Light and Magic even had to open an office in London oh, to facilitate crazy. you know, it moving quickly and get it ready for release. I don't blame them. No. Because they wanted to get a product out. 
and fast. Well, what what do you remember from the marketing of The Force Awakens? I remember being in the theater and seeing the Millennium Falcon fly, and then uh, that old fanfare playing. Oh yeah, and yeah. like once Han showed up, everyone like started clapping and crying, and I was like, <laughs> "It's a movie. The Let's te- relax." Well, look, it's the teaser okay. the teaser trailer came out a full year before the film was even released, oh, yeah. and I just i I rewatched the teaser trailer before we record, and it's still. It's still probably one of the best trailers I've ever seen. <laughs> it was good. It's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, as much crap as I talk, I probably watched it like 50 Old JJ knows how to craft a trailer. <laughs> no, it's a great trailer. It gets you excited. That awesome scene with Kylo Ren where he like is in the forest with his lightsaber lighting up. You know, I actually had to look up because I did a deep dive into like so much Star Wars lore <laughs> to research <laughs> this episode. I had to find out why his lightsaber looks like that because when you look at... Yeah. Um, Luke's lightsaber. It doesn't look like that. It's mm. nice. It's blue. It's straight. It's and then controlled. turns out what Kylo Ren is using, it's a it's a cracked kyber crystal. Okay. So that's why it looks all jagged like that. And it turns out it creates this Ooh. extreme heat. So that's why it needs those ports on the side. Or maybe the cracked kyber crystal symbolizes his breaking off of the force from the good side and how he's a cracked individual going to the dark. Listeners, I really <laughs> hope you just heard... This massive eye roll that I laid on Sean and Jeremy <laughs> laid on him too, because that was just like, oh my gosh. Hashtag no. watch The Last Jedi. But we're not talking about that today. Well, it's interesting <laughs> to note with, at least for me, that this film doesn't really up the ante in any sort of grand way compared to what the prequels were trying to do. Right away with the prequels, like everything was computer effects. The, like, totally. Some of the, even most of the locations were computer effects. Some characters were computer effects. <laughs> the any, filming th- style was A and B. Yeah, like Pretty much anything that Lucas could do with computers, he was going to do it in the prequels. But there's still the heavy use of computer graphics in The Force Awakens. So yes. I'm not saying that, like, oh, one's better than the other in terms of that. No. But there is this return to more practical effects mm-hmm. also using um you know practical set design that was i guess lacking from the previous films oh absolutely it was very uh refreshing to see that they went back to their roots well and we've talked about it before you know if a film can make an au- pull an audience in more mm-hmm. it's worth it yeah absolutely because then it's like oh you got me you got me, Star Wars. Well, you you have to use the practical effects. You have to use real sets, real locations. Well, it's more intriguing. It grounds it. It makes it feel more, um, it brings the humanity to it. Plus, I'm sure it's easier for the actors to work with those types of things. Well, yeah, I mean. I mean, Daisy Ridley talked about her first day on set, basically was with BB-8, and she was so stoked that she was working with an actual live, like, robot thing well yeah that puppetry they use to create bb-8 is incredible good absolutely you can't even tell <laughs> i mean i thought it was fake cgi and then nope nope it's there's real. some parts where it's cgi but i think for the most part they use a real they mm-hmm. use a real puppet and they do a hell of a job there's a person moving it. yeah like they cgi the <laughs> guy out it's like wow after watching the force awakens it just seems like a rehashing of the plot of a new hope oh yeah but it's the plot points are just switched around at so many different points oh yeah they just like he he just divided and conquered a new hope was like you know let's put katina in the middle of the film instead of the beginning it was just ah. Uh, but it, you haven't seen the um, background, but that's what he ke- they kept saying that in the film while they were making it. They're like, it's a Star Wars film. We have to have these things in it. It's for the fans. It's safe to say that this film was definitely made for the fans. Well, yeah, I will I will agree with that to some extent. Yeah. 
Um, but when is it too much? Like, when is fan lore and pandering too far? Do you think this is a good depiction of it? Or Well, I've talked about this on the show before, but I think it, to answer your question, I think I have to look at another franchise with Terminator Genesis. And this is a film I rag on pretty consistently and for good reason. But a lot of what they were trying to do was reconcile the very first film with a new set of films by introducing a lot of elements that we had come to enjoy from the Terminator franchise mm-hmm. and introducing a very classic, well-regarded villain from Terminator 2 and putting him into this fifth film for some reason. So I feel like that was that was fan service. That was pandering to like the nth degree. Whereas this, The Force Awakens, you don't really realize that it is fan service and pandering until, until you give it deeper thought. Yeah. If you watch A New Hope and Force Awakens back to back, you will instantly recognize that there are similarities. Yeah. That's what that's what I've heard by so many reviewers. That's what I felt. Like the first two times I watched it, I'm like, "Wow." This is so great, but once you get to the third, fourth, fifth viewing, you're like, wait a minute, I've seen this film done in a slightly better fashion. (laughs) Oh, oh, it's a new hope. Oh, my God. What am I watching? And by no means are we saying that The Force Awakens is better than A New Hope. Absolutely not. No, and I'm not saying, and I'm not uh, saying that The Force Awakens is a dumpster fire either. No. Because they're definitely like The Phantom Menace is a dumpster fire. (laughs) (laughs) Eddie, the prequels are dumpster fires. They got their own dumpster They're like the, on fire. Prequels. Any of the prequels are like the Cleveland Browns in 2016. <laughs> the Cleveland. Just not even, not even trying to win a game, and even trying, even when they try, they lose. They celebrate when they go zero wins. Cleveland does. That's probably George Lucas when they get a like on Facebook. We got another like today. Let's let's celebrate on Lucas farts. God. So what other? So what then did you enjoy? what J.J. brought to the table with this thing. I enjoyed the action. For me, I felt like the action was nonstop throughout the film. You have the opening scene, the um, the the, sto- the First Order and the villagers fighting it out. You have uh, Finn and Poe's escape from the Star Destroyer. Uh, Ray and Finn escaping in the Millennium Falcon, which is still, that's still a great scene. Um, the Rathar sequence on the freighter when the creatures are Great <laughs> gobbling up the gangsters, that was awesome. I love it, the build-up to that. Yeah. With Han, where he's like, yes, I do. Every time. <laughs> it's so great. I love it when they, like, where are you keeping the Rathars and you just see this tentacle <laughs> pop on the glass and... <laughs> Han's just standing there, cool as a cucumber, going, "There's one." There's, I know he's so cool. I have to say, this, like, and this is a like we said with iRobot. This is a great running movie. Yes, there's so much running, especially in the scene where Ray and Finn are trying to get to the Falcon. They have to run in a straight line. They pretty much have to sprint. They have to nail their dialogue, mm-hmm. and there's explosions going off all around them. But you don't, you take it for granted as a as an audience member. Totally, totally. But when you think about it and what those actors have to do and what the filmmakers have to do at the time if they screw it up they got to reset all of that and that's a lot of stuff that's a lot of explosions well there's that scene in particular and then there's um after the maz's watering hole has been destroyed there's this great scene of finn running amongst all the destruction the camera's moving with him and he hits his mark and nails his line. That's such hard. That's such hard work as an actor to be able to do that. Absolutely. You know, it's another amazing scene with that watering hole when uh, Poe's shooting Tie Fighters down through the sky, and you get that awesome scene where it shows Finn on the bottom with his lightsaber hitting people, and then you see the Tie Fighter fly. So great, man! Yeah. You're just like, oh my gosh, JJ, you did it. But I have my favorite sequence though in the film is. 
the final fight in the forest when Kylo Ren confronts Finn and Rey. Okay. Well, because, I mean, he's, it, at this point in the film, Kylo Ren has just killed his father. Yeah. So by the death of Han Solo, his arc is complete, except he thinks he's got unfinished business with these two. Yeah. So he's going he's gonna to kill them. And Finn, like, bless his heart, he tries to hold his own against, you know, a talented Sith Lord. But, but he, he can't does, do kind of. He hits him. Kind of. It's like, what? That was my problem. Like, how is this trained Jedi going to let some dude that's barely wielded a lightsaber well, and he, hit him? And he's going to try and take the Luke's lightsaber from the snow. And then it, it, it's like, wait, why isn't it moving for me? And then Ray is able to take it and it lands in her hand. <laughs> and then it, it, it kicks in the old, um, the force theme from the original films. You mean the Mary Sue theme? It's not the Mary Sue <laughs> yes, theme. Yes, it is. It is the... not the Mary Sue theme. I'm perfect at everything. Mark Hamill said. You make it sound like Daisy Ridley is the Olivia Newton-John of this she film. Is she the is the Olivia. Not... What does she do wrong? She does nothing wrong. She freaking doesn't train a droid for 60 portions. She knows nothing about this droid. She is dying for food. And he's like, here's 60 portions. She's like, you know what? Even though I've spent eight hours with this droid that I know nothing about, I'm going to get, you know what? Screw you. Screw I still you. think it was awesome because she calls it to her hand and the music kicks in and it's like, oh, there's going to be a fight. Would have been better if it was Mark Hamill, if it was Luke Skywalker. Well, if Mark Hamill just like dropped in from his exile and just Frick yeah. like, like bisected that's Kylo what, Ren. That's, just what, went, that's what Mark Hamill thought it was. That's where he thought his entrance was because he thought it would have been in the most in, like insatiable entrance for a character, which, wow, like, oh my God, he's got the blue lightsaber. Ugh, I would have well, loved that. Well, with the exception of Mark Hamill not saying a word in the film. <laughs> yeah. I didn't feel like the original yeah. actors in the film... It, it wasn't distracting for me. No. It, it, they it, elevated the story. It felt natural to have them in the film. It was exciting because you get to have another adventure with Han Solo, Leia, and Chewie. That was what it was exciting. You're watching it like, oh my God, I get to learn more about these characters and doing more Well, by not things. introducing them right away, it reinforces to us that like this film isn't about them so much. Yes. And if they had come in right from the beginning, we just would have thought, oh, this is a Han Solo, Luke Skywalker adventure. Like, This is a new set of characters. It's a new story. It's a different timeline. Yes. And this, it's, this movie isn't about them. It's about them handing it off to the <laughs> next group of heroes. Well, they try. They You definitely get that uh, reiteration throughout where they're like, no, no, you must love these. These new characters and they try i mean did you what do you think of the new characters in this film i think they were great finn renouncing the first order and so he's experiencing these new emotions like what it means to have friends what it means to experience joy and what it means to care for somebody as opposed to just like blindly shooting them down absolutely because he'd been however many years basically yeah. being uh, indoctrinated like the Borg in Star Trek <laughs> to be a stormtrooper. And then even Han Solo. This is mm -hmm. a different Han Solo than we saw in the original films. This is somebody who's at the end of his road. <laughs> He's a Every, terrible partner, terrible father. <laughs> all the gangsters in the galaxy have caught on to him. He like, was. He playing... doesn't have any tricks left up his sleeve anymore. Absolutely. He was channeling his inner Bruce Willis, because that's every Bruce Willis character. I'm a beaten down, rather than my horrible father. I'm at the end of my rope. But he did a better <laughs> make, job. You make Han Solo sound like a Bruce Springsteen <laughs> song. <laughs> Born in the USA. Well, for Han to be born on Corellia. Yeah. <laughs> but they, although I, I do have to say, my favorite bit of characterization is after Ben Solo has killed Han and Chewie shoots him, the 
think how hard it was for Chewbacca to just shoot him. Oh, uh, wait. Um, to shoot Ben Solo. I mean, assuming that Ben grew up with Han and Leia together, you have to assume Chewbacca was there for a good portion of Ben's life. I wish they would have showed that in the film. Yeah. Because I did not get that feeling you at all. You had a walking, talking dog with you for most of your life? That is like a kid's best <laughs> possible dream. I wish they would go up to Chewie and be like, get the stick, get the stick. Like, I wonder- You want the milk bone? Go get the milk bone. <laughs> and Chewie just go... <laughs> Just go after it. However, I didn't feel like Kylo Ren was the same level of villainy as Darth Vader was. No, and he suffers from I think what all what both then the villains suffer from being like young actors, like teenage characters. It almost feels like a teenage soap opera. With like, someone validate me. I'm in charge. No, I'm in charge. And it's just like throughout the film, like you see that with his temper tantrums that thank God Ryan Johnson didn't throw in The Last Jedi, like where he like destroys the computer terminal. They got away. Ah! I'm so mad. It's like, dude, just play your screamo music in the background. Why don't you? I'm just waiting for it. Kylo suffers from grandfather envy. Like, he wants to be so much like Darth Vader, but he doesn't understand that usually, he was a whole other person before he became Darth Vader. Usually it's father envy. He's got granddad envy is what grand, it is. It's generational, baby. It's granddad envy. And I can I can relate to that on some level. Like, yeah. I, I never I never knew my grandfather growing up, but there mm-hmm. was a lot of history with him and my dad. He wasn't exactly the kindest of people to my dad or my uncles or my grandmother, and he divorced and left his... Let this family start a new family, Minnesota, and you always want to hold up this this vaulted image of your your elders that come before you in your family. But while Kylo Ren only sees Darth Vader, he doesn't see that he was Anakin before. So there's nobody around to tell him, you know, he was for all his faults, he was a very kind person. He was very loyal, very helpful. He was a very talented Jedi. He was a very capable pilot. All he knows is Darth Vader. Well, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that is just a problem with the writing. Because when I was seeing him worship the helmet, I'm like, but Anakin, he's a way better Jedi. And at the end of Jedi, he goes and says, you were right, Luke. And then he becomes Anakin, you know, the force goes Anakin. Well, and more so than the original films, I feel that Kylo is more subservient to Snoke than Vader was to Palpatine. Well, it's interesting because it's like they both, throughout this film, he just wants that approval. I think him and Ray, they're they're kind of like on the same path where Ray like um, falls, not falls in love, but just wishes for, for that father figure in her life. And she seeks it in Han Solo, whereas I think Kylo wants to be, you know, validated by Snoke to be like, hey, I am a Jedi. I am in charge of this, and which is a nice arc for both of them, you know? But you just, I wish it was more clear, (laughs) more interesting, not bogged down by teenage angst. It's weird how this film raises a ton of questions that go unanswered or nothing's that really explained. Mm -hmm. Even when they're on Jakku, you see all these wrecked star destroyers. Yeah. Like, what the heck happened? I know. I know. Is this from 35 years ago? What? What? They blew up this close to Jakku? Well, the biggest question, too, throughout the film is, who is Ray? I know. And- I chalk that up as to lazy story writing um, because throughout the film, multiple times, I think it's four or five times where they uh, have that point where they ask her, why do you want to go back to Chikoo? 
What's going on? Who are you? And she says, none of your business. That's why. And they're like, it's none of your business. Oh, we'll discuss that later. I'll tell you in a different time. It's like, come on. This is what we seek as an audience. We want to know. Well, another question too. How did Maz Kanata wind up with Luke's lightsaber? <laughs> Because last I checked, it was it had a hand attached to it, falling down from Cloud City and just you know into the into the nothingness. So I don't know if you read that, but uh, Mark Hamill also addresses in one of his talks in 2015 the original beginning of the Force Awakens was actually supposed to have his hand attached to the lightsaber falling in space, and then it gets um, the hand gets burned up in like the atmosphere, and then it lands, and then Moskanov's hand was supposed to pick it up. But for some reason, Disney didn't want to go with that opening. I don't know why. Uh-huh. I think that would have been epic. That would have been really cool. And then like 30 years later, like, <laughs> Right? But why was this hand still floating in space? I don't know. Maybe well, the oxygen wouldn't decompose it? I don't, I don't know. The lack of oxygen in space would cause it to, you know, not decompose. And then Okay, fair. Then that would be interesting, but that would, you know, people would be like, how does the hand well, land in that one planet? Man? Well, that's assuming that this, that the movies follow the rules of space, which let's be honest, they don't. No, they do not. Because explosions and sound don't exist in space. So <laughs> <laughs> if it were true, like the entire space, all the space battles would just be silent. <laughs> Who was Snoke? It's never a trendy circus with Snoke, Chris. Within the confines of the Star Wars universe, who is Snoke? <laughs> we don't know. I don't know. Maybe we'll find out in The Last Jedi. Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think uh, he like seemed like the Emperor, the new big baddie, you know? And he was interesting enough where you're like, ooh, this guy's mysterious. I wonder who. But you never really find out. Spoilers. Again, it's just it's this deep dive you have to go into the lore of the Star Wars universe to figure out how we got from Return of the Jedi to The Force Awakens. And that's my problem, I think, because I shouldn't have to read endless graphic novels and books in order to make sense of a movie. Like, if I have to do extra reading, it's like, if I have to explain what the joke is, then it's a crappy joke. And that's like what I feel like Force Awakens Well, it's different when this is a fictional universe- and it's you know, pretty much like the events could be created by some someone in their basement, and it just happens to be approved by Disney. Like that's <laughs> the thing with this, right? However, in if when you watch a movie that's based on historical events, I find that independent research actually enhances your understanding and your enjoyment of the film. Absolutely. Like I, I watch a film like Charlie Wilson's War mm-hmm. about the secret CIA operation to overthrow the Soviet Union in Afghanistan. Like if I do independent research about that and read books, articles, whatever about that, then that just in further enhances my enjoyment of that film whereas if i have to go deep dive into nerd lore i'm gonna lose my mind i know because there's so much fandom it's like like, i can't commit this crap to memory (laughs) like this isn't gonna show up on bar trivia one night it's it's not gonna happen (laughs) i can't believe you referenced charlie wilson's war that's a a great movie with tom hanks absolutely love tom hanks (laughs) i've never that's awesome never thought we could talk about that all right so then what did you hate some of the things I disliked were the fact that this film raised more questions than it answered. You know, because like with A New Hope, like the film ended in finito. It was like, you're not left pondering anything heading into The Empire Strikes Back. Except why Chewie didn't get the medal. <laughs> that. Because he's a, he's a walking dog. And he gets screwed over in this film, too. Dogs he doesn't even get a hug. Wookiees don't have rights, apparently. 
um also there was a lot i got some heavy nazi germany vibes <laughs> while watching the first order i mean and, and going back going back on a historical train for a minute i mean and when you look at when adolf hitler came to power in germany pre-world war ii he was known for these fiery speeches that got his audiences amped up and most of the populace in Germany at the time were these young kids, mm-hmm. these young adolescent, you know, maybe early tw- early to mid 20s young men that were just all like, rah, 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 <laughs> Germany, let's go fight and blur, blur, blur. So <laughs> I I hope that's what they sounded like. Even their salute was eerily similar to those stupid Nazis. I know. And people criticized George Lucas for taking out, um, you know, from whatever his influences were back in the 70s. But I I don't know. Like, these influences didn't really stick. I mean, it's because they're so old, and we've seen it so many times. I feel like there should have been a, a set of films before the, the before the Force Awakens takes place that sets up, you know, how the New Republic came together, the struggles to get it going, the battles, because apparently afterwards there were still pockets of Imperial resistance, you know, after, you know, the New Republic had came around. So if there were the set of spacer films leading into the Force Awakens, yeah, that would have been awesome. Yeah. Or like a one-off, something. Yeah, something like Rogue One or Solo that, that explains how we got here. Exactly. I know Lucas said he always wanted like a nine film saga. But well, think, he's going to kind of get it. Kind of, I guess. <laughs> but I think the the fault of like the fact that we're wondering what the heck happened is a problem in the storytelling elements of the film. Because there's so much fan service, because on Jakku it's peppered with all these star destroyers and things where the fans are left going, what the heck happened? And I think that's just a fault of the fan service in and of itself because... If there wasn't so much fan service, maybe they could have actually written a good story that's compelling character-wise, you know? Because if the characters get you and you're super invested in the story, what's going on, then all that other, like the environment and everything, doesn't matter. But the fact that it's so thin, we're left going, what the heck's going on? What it, what it, why, What is happening? Well, and I feel like we should you know, tell our listeners, too, that if you aren't going to fault somebody for that for the shortcoming of the film you Mm -hmm. should rest it on the filmmakers yes and not the actors no the actors can only do so much with what's given to them and i think we're in agreeing agreeance on that the actors did a phenomenal job in this film oh they're great john boyega was great um daisy ridley for you know as thin of a character she has is questionable adam driver oscar isaac was great all of them they were insatiable I mean, everything I think in this film was great. Every facet of it was exceptional except for the story. Well, however, when you're talking about a Star Wars film, you can't talk about it without mentioning toxic fandom. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What do we got for this week? Toxic fandom. So there was backlash from all sides regarding The Force Awakens. Oh, man. Even the casting of John Boyega and him appearing as a stormtrooper put a lot of people on the attack. What? Why? I don't know. They were they, a lot of it were criticisms saying that his his por- his appearing as a stormtrooper was quote inconsistent with their views of how stormtroop what stormtroopers were. What do you never see behind the helmet except in Clone Wars? Like what are you and talking about? And all the same about? face in the Clone Wars. Exactly. No. 
no. Like to Boyega's credit, he took the high road and he told all these people who were saying this, like, you know, just get over it. And he crushed it in the movie. So like it is and like after the movie came out, everybody was just like, We're sorry. Like they just wanna you know, that's the internet. That's the problem with the internet. Well, it's, it's too many voices. Well, those groups or whatever who hated John Boyega weren't the only people who got in on the whole criticism. George Lucas got in on this action. <laughs> Big bad George. So he did an interview around the time The Force Awakens came out where he likened Disney to white slavers. <laughs> he didn't like the film. He was hot ra- off of Red Tails. <laughs> <laughs> Red Tails is doo-doos too. <laughs> <laughs> it's the reason why he didn't drink. Change my mind. Red Tails is bad. <laughs> he Lucas claimed to not like the film's retro feel, which again I, I give him credit for trying to do something different with the prequel films, but they fell flat. And like we said at the beginning of the show, he made bank selling Lucas film to Disney. <laughs> and he had every opportunity in the world to make those sequel films, mm-hmm. and he chose not to. I mean, uh, granted, his opinion is valid, but yeah. to me, those opi- those grievances are better left unsaid. While you count, you know, your four billion dollars in the bank <laughs> to his credit though he has come out in support of the the standalone films rogue one solo yeah. he's also voiced his uh support of the last jedi and but from what i can tell he's fully on board with what they're doing with the rise of skywalker so i think he's come around from this he's most changed. probably because kathleen kenny sat him down and said listen do you like four billion dollars i know because we could take it back it was the same talking that Mark Hamill had after The Last Jedi. They're like, look, do you want to be in the next film or not? Zip it. Well, the criticisms also got to Daisy Ridley, too. Oh, she got off of uh, she social media? She got off of all social media because people were attacking her. Dude, kudos to her. I wish I could get off yeah, of social media. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with her decision because I so wish I could do that. She's off the grid, man. That's good. I, I mean, that's but, not a bad thing, but the people being like, Douchebag Stewart. But p- bottom line is she performed well in an otherwise great movie, and if fans didn't like her, well, then that's their problem. Yeah. It's, I, like, it's, it's, it's not the actor's problem. No, it's it's not the actor's that's fault. That's your issue to work out. Don't take it out on the actor. Yeah, criticize Lawrence Kasdan, J.J. Abrams, and the other guy. Michael Arndt. Michael Arndt. Because I guess the script aren't the best. Wow, that was bad. <laughs> All right, so if that's so bad, what did you think was uh, corny? Yeah, some of the dialogue choices that Finn has. Okay. and Which, again, I, I chalk it up to the writing of the character. Because, mm-hmm. again, I feel like he's experiencing these emotions for the first time, so that's why he's <laughs> reacting or saying the things he does. Wow. Because he's had to really? s- he's had to stay in line for like mo- for his whole life. So I, I, when, when yeah. he has a chance to express himself, like this is – like he's just doing what what feels what feels natural to him. Yeah, I I guess. I I mean, I'm just so used to like stoic Star Wars characters. It's like every character ever has been super stoic except for Anakin. And Anakin was just like a whiny bitch the whole time. So he was just so whiny. So it was like you're used to like, you know, like, oh, well, that's just who he is, you know, but like seeing John Boyega be like, I'm the man. I'm the man. It's like it felt a little out of place for me. Well, speaking of out of place, Sean, what was your lens flare? <laughs> the Force and how <laughs> Ray <laughs> apparently can master it in like less than 24 hours. No, well, George Lucas already ruined the Force with midi chlorians. I don't think Ray's not going to do any <laughs> any more damage than what George Lucas what has already the done. Rise of Skywalker. Ray's just this giant midi chlorian. She's uh, walking around with more gerbs than like a a petri dish full of chicken pox. Yeah, there she is. 
the one midichlorian to rule them all. <laughs> she just has a She's kid. just this amorphous bacteria blob. <laughs> you were born out of the midichlorians. Oh, my God. That would be crazy. What was your, uh, I guess, lens flare? You know, as I mentioned, there is a lot that happened after Return of the Jedi and The Force Awakens. And I really wish we had another set of films leading up to this film. And it's it's like watching the first season of Game of Thrones, where the most interesting part or best part of the show that set us down the road we're on now happened 30 years before the show even took place. Which, and I tell this to people all the time. Like, if you if you don't know Game of Thrones and you're going in blind, you need to, like, stop after every episode, reassess what you saw, and ask, like, a super fan you know, like, what happened? What did I see? Like, what what are they talking about? Robert's Rebellion and all that stuff. And this is, some, and this is along those lines. If you're watching The Force Awakens and you don't know why, you know, there's Star Destroyers all over Jakku, like, why is, you know, the Resistance the Resistance? Like, what's happening with the First Order? You need, like, a Star Wars nerd encyclopedia sitting next to you giving you a commentary of all the crap that's happening right it's tough I, I i this film really made me realize how tough it is making a movie because it's like you can't be so far into like exposition like the prequels where it's so boring but then you can't be so light where then it's like the force awakens where you're just like i don't know <laughs> like what is this it's hard to find that balance but 30 years is too long a time to simply pick up the story from return of the jedi i know that's uh... I know. <laughs> well, did you have a red shirt, Sean? Uh, no, I I actually did not because so many people died that like deserved it. I, I got mean, one. What? The uh, the stormtrooper who called Finn a traitor. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, because they were about to throw down and actually what seemed like it was going to be a pretty good fight, and then that stormtrooper was a FN two one nine nine got the upper hand on him was out about to barbecue him. Yeah. Until Han Solo shot him in the chest. <laughs> I was hoping for a more like grander fight than the one we got. Well, I guess now we learned that <laughs> meager uh, technology can deflect lightsabers. Apparently, now. <laughs> lightsabers are just you know they're just these are sword. like unstoppable weapons. Like the lightsaber <laughs> should just like be able to chop it in half. You're like, now what you got? It used to be the MacGuffin. Not anymore. There's no more. <laughs> but uh, how did you like? Uh, what did you think of Harrison Ford with like Chewie's blaster? Oh my god. He's had about like 45 years to, to give that thing a try and he waits until like their last adventure to give it a shot. Literally? Oh, it was amazing. Can I try that? It like you so mean to tell me you didn't have time to take that thing out and go target practicing with it? You waited until now when everyone's life is in peril to to quote try it? <laughs> True. Uh, hashtag, I think Han Solo is the best part of the film. Yeah. Him and John Boyega. Uh, they were great. I, I, lo I so love their back great. and forth. Oh I love God. it. was like, did you just call me Solo? I know, I know. And he kept doing it throughout the film. Well, I love it when he hands in the blaster and looks like, let me tell you something. Women always figure out the truth. So always. True. So true. <laughs> so let's, uh, so let's dive into the legacy that is The Force Awakens. How will people react 10 years from now so it was a massive box office success it's an understatement in total it grossed just over two billion dollars and it was the first film in history to gross 100 million dollars in a single day wow. and earned 248 million dollars in its opening weekend which by now it's been eclipsed by avengers endgame and all that so i mean it's still noteworthy to talk about because it was a box office wonder at the time it's the highest grossing film in the Star Wars franchise, the, sec the, the second highest grossing film for Disney, 
The first being now Avengers Endgame. Mm-hmm. Um, the highest grossing film in North America and currently sits fourth among the highest grossing films of all time. Oh, wow. Uh, it was third, the third film in history to pass $2 billion at the box office. So right now, adjusted for inflation, it currently sits at 10th on the list of highest grossing films while adjusted for that, which is a pretty impressive place on that list. It was the highest grossing film in 2015 and the most profitable film of the year. Uh, so some other films that came out in 2015 include Jurassic World, Avengers Age of Ultron, uh, Spectre, Inside Out, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, the Martian and Mad Max Fury Road. So this was a heavy hitter year. 2015 was awesome. So it received five Academy Award nominations. Best original score from Mr. John Williams. Boom. If it's a John Williams score, like it's going to get an Academy Award. That's just like a given. Uh, best sound editing, best sound mixing, best film editing, and best visual effects. Did not win for any of those, unfortunately. No? I think Mad Max Fury Road took home a bunch of those uh, awards, which is true. I mean, there's always a film every year that takes home a bunch of technical awards. And I mean, I would say Mad Max is the superior film overall. However, it was the most nominated film in the history of the Saturn Awards. Hey, that's it, dope. It received 13 nominations and won eight awards. Hey! That's pretty good. Some of it include uh, Best Science Fiction Film, Best Actor for Harrison Ford, Best Music, and Best Special Effects. Wound up uh, appearing on 30 lists for major publications and film critics on that year's top 10 lists. Currently holds a 93% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, so take that for what you will. So I, I, I'm interested to hear like your story of The Force Awakens. Like, did you Did you see this in theaters? I did. So I just got back. So I went to basic training August or October 2nd, I think I shipped out to Fort Sill, Oklahoma. So I just got back literally. I flew in um, at like 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. from the, Texas. And so I went to my sister, went to Brick House because I wanted to drink because I was very angry and upset for being yelled at for 12 weeks. <laughs> and then at like 1, a, 1 p.m., um, I was like, Mom. Kyle, you want to go see The Force Awakens? So we went and we just saw it like front row, literally front row in the theaters. And I saw it and then I saw it the next day. I saw it back to back days and I loved it initially. I was inebriated both days watching it. So take that for what you will. (laughs) But uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought the same thing that I felt now. Han Solo was great. John Boyega was great. Kylo Ren, Adam Driver was great. Um, Yeah, it was amazing. I was so hyped, but, you know, after watching it in subsequent viewings, it kind of fettered out, (laughs) unfortunately. I wish it would still. I wish it was a better film, but now it doesn't hold the magic that it did when I initially saw it. How about you? Uh, I remember I was working um, at my old job um, with the, the siren and the coffee and all that. (laughs) <laughs> oh it's starbucks yeah no way i was i was still working there uh and i got off um late after closing and i think i was i was gonna go ahead home and it was opening weekend and i just looked up on the app and saw it was an eleven fifteen show on the theater on my way home and i was like oh i can go see it <laughs> and i went in to see it it was me and like 12 other people so everybody was like real quiet and it was late at night so nobody was taking their phones out it was real quiet is that bugs me more than anything is when people take their phones out but then i uh, took my girlfriend at the time we saw it the uh, i think the the next weekend and 
she was like, you, you didn't react the way I thought you would with Han Solo dying. And I was like, I saw it last weekend. She's like, why didn't you say anything? Like, cause I wanted to see it again. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I think I cried when I saw yeah. <laughs> when he died. The yeah. I, I, I remember, I, I remember I getting all weepy when he like, cried. No, no, don't. <laughs> cause it just, I mean, Harrison Ford crushes it with the face touch. I was like, oh, yeah. man. So with all of that in mind, Sean, what do you rate on our unique scale in the Force Fed sci-fi podcast of wouldn't watch, would watch, would own, and would host a viewing party? What do you give to Star Wars The Force Awakens? I would say would watch. I feel like if you're a Star Wars fan, you have to watch it, unfortunately, because you can't delete it from memory, much like the prequels. If you want to get the whole shebang. Nope, those are there. <laughs> they're forever. They're never going to be gone. Um, I don't think I would own it. I don't know. Maybe seeing The Last Jedi, if it like ties it all together in a cool bow, maybe. Maybe it'll make me want to buy all nine. But as of now, I would say would watch. It's just like the incongruencies with the story or lack thereof a story just really turns me off. Because I'd rather watch A New Hope because it's a better story with a couple better actors in it. But... Good, fast pace. Everything, like we said, everything's great with this film except the story and uh, a lot of silly moments. Mm -hmm. How about you? You know, while I feel disappointed that The Force Awakens didn't exactly tread any new ground, I didn't feel like it was a requirement at the time for this film. Looking back, yeah, it would have been nice to get more context and history to what led up to this film, but I don't feel like it was needed when this came out. And, 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 and it's the same for sequels for the standalone films i mean but this was important to create an entertaining experience for old audiences and new so and i enjoyed watching this film and i continue to and watch it upon repeat viewings and i would i would own this i currently own it i love watching it i mean i mean you don't need you don't need any sort of history lesson leading up to it you don't need anybody going here's what happened here there 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 maybe afterwards but you, you don't need it to enjoy the film and i think bottom line if you can enjoy this film without learning the 30 years of new republic history coming before it then it's fine and it accomplished what george lucas could not do with the prequels i mean creating an authentic and engaging experience for the audience that you know his franchise his birth that his that his ideas and his creation came about i mean yeah in hindsight it does feel like fan service and pandering but i still think it's a very entertaining movie and it's high quality for me Awesome. <laughs> so, Major Samantha, just kidding. No. We're watching Last Jedi. Yes. Major <laughs> Samantha is going to take some time off. <laughs> She's on vacation. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, next week we will be do, uh, reviewing and discussing Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. So, please watch and enjoy with us. If you enjoyed today's episode, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. It really helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at ForceFed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you find podcasts. And please subscribe so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, ForceFedSciFi.com, for show notes and links to all of our social media. So for all of us at the Force-Fed Sci-Fi team, may the Force be with you.
Force-fed sci-fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design, associate producer, and editing by Jeremy Kesky. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.